friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome. So glad you're here this morning. My name is Jonathan. If we haven't met, one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, I get the privilege of talking to you this morning. And um, just want to start by sharing just a commitment. Um, of my life, this like a deep commitment of my life, and thus a deep commitment of this church, and um, that's to live truthfully, to live truthfully. Um, and I know that sounds like, well, yeah, you're a Christian, you should live truthfully. But so many of us grew up in churches where uh, people didn't live truthfully. And I don't just mean about their sin. I mean about the truth about how the world is. What life is like. And we think that we protect our faith by not being truthful. Right? We think if we were truthful about the way the world is, the way we are, what life is like, that it will protect our faith. And in fact, it does the opposite. It destroys faith. And it teaches people that when the devastation of life comes, you don't go to church. You avoid God because God doesn't like truthfulness. But when you read the Gospels, Jesus was always inviting the truthful ones to live with him. To bring their whole self to him. And really that was like one of the only conditions to follow Jesus was just to live in the truth. Right? So he's like, I don't mind if you're a sinner and you want to follow me, but you just have to live in the truth. You've got to be truthful, right, about what's happening. And, um, and so this morning we're going to be truthful. And I realize, like, God does this. He's done it multiple times where we've had to deal with things on a morning where, like, our crowd is full of visitors and families. And it's just, like, it's just a challenge again. It's like, Jonathan, just get up there and be truthful. Just get up there and be truthful. And so this week, um, we had a devastating loss in our community. Someone we deeply, deeply, deeply loved and treasured died, tragically. His name is Daniel Cranford, and many of you knew him. His family helped us plant this church. Some of us have known him since he was a baby. He's one of the best men I've ever known. I could just honestly say that. 
If I could picture who I'd want my boys to be when they grow up, it would look like Daniel. It'd be him. I should be like, man, if my boys grew up to be like him, I'd be the proudest father you'd ever known. And so this morning, we've just got um, so many of us hurting. And um, it's interesting, in the book of Jeremiah, God's speaking through Jeremiah to Israel, and he said, one of the things I hold against you is that you say peace, peace, where there's no peace, and you've tried to heal the wounds of my people lightly. And um, so we don't want to do that. We want to deal with our wounds, with our traumas, with our pains, with our grief, with our losses. And the Lord took me to the book of Ezra this week where he had taken the Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city. And it says that they got there and they laid the foundation of the temple. And when they did, they started to worship and they started praise and they were banging cymbals and blowing trumpets. And they were shouting over and over again, his, he is good, his love toward Israel endures forever. It says, all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. And for me to live truthfully is, is to have a baby dedication on the same Sunday that we grieve loss. Because that's life. That, that is the life that we're living where our joy is mingled with grief. And the only other way is to live dishonestly and to dissociate yourself and to hide and to suppress. And it doesn't work. And so I just committed to the Lord after my own journey through grief and suffering and trauma to live that way, to live truthfully before him and to, um, to only live um, a faith and a theology that works in the homes of bereaved parents and grieving widows. I just, wanted, I just said to the Lord, listen, if my faith doesn't work in that room, it means it doesn't work doesn't work. And can I just tell you, friends, after sitting in these rooms and walking this path, worldly, secular philosophy doesn't work either. It doesn't work. It doesn't hold a candle to the devastation of this world. The only thing that does is Jesus, the man, the lover of our soul, our creator, his way, his gospel, it's not cheap words. It's true. And it's true in the dark, and it's true in the light, and it's true in pain, and it's true in joy. And so today, um, we're going to talk about that. Psalm 126 describes the picture in Ezra when it talks about the Lord brought back the captives of Zion. And it talks about we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. The Lord has done great things with us. We are filled with joy. And then in the middle they pray, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Guys, there are no streams in the Negev. It's the desert. There's no streams there. But streams come when the rain comes. They, they pop up out of nowhere. And so does 
the restoration of God. But listen to this. It says, as those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. And so as I, as I spoke about living truthfully in the church being a place where we hold all these things together and we hold them in tension and we do them sometimes at the same time and sometimes in seasons, but we, we want to be people who sow our tears into the kingdom of Jesus. We want to sow them together into his presence, into worship, into a life that honors God, glorifies him. Um, as I sat with Allie yesterday, I described after I lost my first wife, Samantha, in a car accident, and uh, Greg and Todd came to the funeral, which is in Portland, and I knew that they had planted a church because we were kind of on concurrent tracks. I was going to plant a church in Louisville. They were planting a church here when my tragedy happened, and they just said, hey, come back to Oklahoma City and just be with us. Just come like you have a place with us. And so I came back, and um, I just I went to church. And I was just like, I, ha- I have to go. I have to go. I'm going to cry somewhere. <laughs> and I'm either going to cry alone in my room, or I'm going to cry in the presence of Jesus with the church. And it was terrible. It was awful. It was just the worst and the best. But it was like Peter, where, where Jesus like, are you guys going to leave too? And he says, where else? Would we go? What other path is there other than to come to you with my brokenness, my grief, my pain, my loss? I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to sow it in this place. Because Jesus doesn't cause this stuff, friends. God, God gets no glory from death. There's no purpose in death. There's no purpose in suffering. There's no redeeming quality about it. Death's an intruder. Sin is an intruder, but what God can do is he can plant beautiful things in the soil of hearts that bring that stuff to him. And beautiful things can grow. But we have to tell the truth. We don't say, oh, there's a reason for this. There's a purpose. God had a plan. No, 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 no. The Bible says God can bring good out of any situation, but God doesn't cause pain, suffering, death, trauma, all this. He doesn't cause this stuff for his glory. He gets glory from our response in it, how we choose to live in it. But one of the things I will not abide is someone maligning God's name, okay? Um, and so we've got we've to get that right. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Friends, this is, this is who Jesus is. Jesus isn't a shiny, happy face on a poster. 
Jesus was a man acquainted with suffering and sorrow and affliction and loss and grief. He wasn't spared his portion of human suffering. When he took on humanity, he received with it everything that we have received in it. He went with us. Came this morning to worship a man with holes in his hands and his feet. That's who he is. That's who he is. A man who was arrested, imprisoned, tortured, beaten, spit on, hung on a cross. Who endured the worst that this life and existence can throw at you. And his invitation isn't to deliver you out of suffering in the world. It's to walk with you in the midst of it. He's saying, I am with you even till the end of the age. And friends, I just want to encourage you this morning. You have to find a faith that works in the houses of suffering. You have to find a faith that can withstand these things. Because the truth of the matter is, it will come to your house someday. It will come to the house of someone you love. And your faith has to work in that moment. And cheap phrases and churchy answers just get crushed. But Jesus, Jesus, his name, his life, his work, his real presence works in those moments. So this life, it isn't suffering or joy, it's suffering and joy. It's beauty and agony. It's praise and lament all mixed together. And so we, as the church, have to make space for people who are experiencing these things. If we just say, hey, come to church and ignore all your stuff, leave your stuff at the door, don't make it awkward, guess what? All the people that Jesus literally left heaven to come to earth to win will never show up in our places. Jesus himself will stop showing up in those places if we don't create space for the people he loves. Revelation says clearly, if you don't do these things, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place, which is my presence will depart the church if you don't live truthfully and make room for those who suffer, those who question those who are confused, those who doubt, those who sin, those who keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. If you do not make room for them, I will not stay in your midst. If you're suffering, friends, don't avoid the joyful. If you're joyful, don't avoid the suffering, their present state, whether suffering or joy, awakens us to the reality of our lives in Jesus before God, that we are all of this together. That's how we live truthfully together. And guess what? The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free, not knowing the truth in your mind, but living the truth in your life will give you freedom. Revelation 5 says this, After this I looked and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count. 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? Who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know, and he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Friends, there's an order of things right now, but someday it will pass away. It'll pass away. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know any of those things, but the promise of Jesus is that the old order, death, violence, rage, malice, jealousy, and all this stuff that just brutalizes us, it is going away someday He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Behold, I make all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious, they will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Friends in heaven, the God of the universe will be carrying a towel. And he himself will wipe every tear of yours away. Every single one of us will get a moment with him. And I pictured him as a loving father who kneels before their child who's weeping. And it's done. Someday, God himself will wipe away every tear of our eyes read a story this week about the Moravians, which is one of my favorite stories. It's this group of radical Christians in the 1700s who had a revival, and they started a 24-7 prayer movement that lasted 100 years, and they sent out missionaries all over the world. But their first missionaries, it's incredible, their first missionaries were sent to the West Indies uh, to slaves, to plantations, and they sold themselves into slavery 
They literally, because the people were like, the only way you can reach these people is if you give up your rights and become as they are. And they said, we'll go. They go there. They work alongside the slaves. They have about seven years, and they've got one convert who's an eight-year-old girl, and they're just like, Lord, what are we doing? And then next thing you know, revival hits. Thousands and thousands of people come to Jesus. But on their way out, they stood on a ship with their friends on the beach, knowing they likely would never see any of these people again. And one of the men, as they drifted off, he shouted this phrase. He said, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. (laughs) May the lamb, the lamb of God, may he receive the reward of his suffering. Jesus, may he receive the reward of his life, death, resurrection. May he receive it. And what is that reward? That reward is faith. Your faith is the reward of the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Your faith in him, your life given to him in the darkness, in the light, in the joy, in the pain. His reward for his suffering is your life faithfully given to him. And friends, I want Jesus to receive his reward. I want him to get what he deserves, which is glory, honor, power, wealth, wisdom, might, dominion, all those things. And he gets that through me holding on to faith in the midst of every trial and tribulation and crisis I face on this side of things. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I want to read a quote from Frederick Buechner. Because faith doesn't exist alone. It's actually attached to another reality the Bible speaks of. And he talks about this in this quote. He says, after centuries of handling and mishandling, most religious words have become so shop-worn, nobody's much interested anymore. Right? And we're like, oh, that's just a bunch of religious jargon. That's just, I don't know if I believe that anymore. I don't know if I can take that. But he says, not so with grace. For some reason, mysteriously, even derivatives like gracious and graceful still have some of the bloom left. Grace is something you can never get but only be given. (laughs) There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. Friends, tears are grace. Tears are grace. We have to learn how to let go of our tears. And I was reminded this morning as I just <laughs> I looked up at Lucas and I saw Lucas crying. I was just like, oh no, here it goes. Okay. And I was reminded that I made a commitment to the Lord in that first year after Samantha died to not wipe my tears. Sounds like a really weird thing. But I just remember thinking, like, I want them to sink into my being. I want to just let them sink into my face, and I would just sit there until they just dried. I wanted, I didn't want to lose any of them. I wanted them all to matter. I wanted to keep all of them. Tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. Have you ever tried to love somebody? Have you ever tried to love somebody? It doesn't work. Trying to love somebody doesn't work. Loving someone is the grace of Jesus poured out through your life.
crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. I love he says, there's nothing you have to do. That's grace. There's nothing you have to do. It's grace. There's nothing you have to do. It's grace. It's grace. The grace of God means something like this. Here is your life. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. Here is your life. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Things that you cannot predict, you will never expect. And if you knew they were coming, you were like, I would just die. I couldn't do that. And yet the grace of God is sufficient. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. You matter to God. I'm going to read it again. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. God is saying, I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you. I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and take it. You've got to take it. And maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift. So this morning, the Father of heaven, through the Son, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit, is reaching out to you with a gift. He's saying, here is my grace, which is sufficient for all of the things you will encounter in this world. Would you just take it? And for some of us, we've been Christians for a long time, and Jesus is going, again, take it again. Take it again, take it again, take it again. It will always be yours, but take it again. And for some of you, it might be the first time. You've never taken it. You've never wanted it even, and all of a sudden something has sparked in your heart. This is the morning to take it. Take the gift. It's yours. It has your name on it. So what does the church have to offer in times of suffering? Not pithy sayings, not religion, not philosophies, not self-help, not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We have, as Brennan Manning would describe, grace on tap. (laughs) Free, never-ending love of Jesus where you are. Not clean up to take a shower, but bring yourself to the table and receive. never-ending supply. So the morning, this morning, the invitation is to pull up at this, a seat at the table and drink and eat deeply and freely of the grace of Jesus. Friends, for so many of us and for the church in these days, we have been dabbling around the table. We've just taken for granted that the world is always going to be good and things are going to be fine and we live in a good country and my life is pretty good and I can control most things and I got educated, I've got a job, I can take care of it and then wham! So could this church be a church that drinks deeply and freely of the grace of Jesus? 
We don't want to play act at faith. We don't want to be the hypocrites who have two faces. We want to live in the light of Jesus truthfully. We want to bring him our questions, our anger, our frustration, our doubts, our confusion. We want to stare into the mystery of this life and just go, I don't know anything other Jesus that you love me and I love you. Would you keep me here? Would you keep me with you? So I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for us. I'm going to invite the prayer team. The prayer team's just going to come down and stand in this front row. And if something awakened you in you this morning, if you want to give your life to Jesus, come see them. They'll pray over you. They'll walk through it. If some grief or trauma awakened in you this morning, you're just like, I just need somebody to pray over me. We'll do that as well. So would you close your eyes? Would you just open your hands? these open hands just represent the emptiness. The emptiness of our ability to do anything to save ourselves, to heal ourselves, to restore ourselves, to reconcile ourselves. Jesus, we have nothing but you. And in you, we have everything. So today, Lord, I freely receive the gift of grace. as we grieve this devastating loss, would you be near? You promised that you would be near to the brokenhearted, Lord. Come near right now, Jesus. Right now, Lord, would you draw near Allie right now with your manifest presence, Jesus? Would you comfort her? Lord, when you walked the earth, you loved widows such a special love for them, Jesus. Would you come right now and love her in only the way that you can love her? For Stuart and Paula and Will and Preston, for the family, Jesus, would you just come and wrap them up right now, Jesus? Faith, Lord. We ask for faith in this season, Jesus. We ask for comfort. You said that if we bring you our supplications, our petitions, our thanksgivings, that you would give us peace. Bring it in the name of Jesus right now. So Lord, we come to your table, your body broken, your blood shed, where you said this is for the healing of the nations, but also for our own hearts, Lord. So, Lord, we bring you all of our grief. We bring you all of our trauma. We bring you all of our sin. Lord, we just bring it to you, and we ask that you would cover it in your blood. You would cover it, Jesus. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.
worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. So if you would like any more information on that, please go to our website at skylineokc.com and connect with us via that way. Thank you, guys. 